Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer when we get started. Father, we just thank you for your very presence today. We thank you for how, Lord, you ask us to continue to seek after you. Your word is true and we want to be in truth. We want to be near you right now, Lord. We want to be in your very presence at this moment. We thank you for this time that is set aside for us to come and worship you. Lord, we come here every Sunday to worship you, but Lord, we know that we can worship you anytime and anywhere, not just on Sunday. And we thank you for that reminder. Because in order for us to practice and exercise the faith that we're going to be talking about, and to live in such a way where we're honoring you, we want to do that as often as necessary. Where that we recognize your very presence in everything that we do. We thank you, Lord, again. We have had travel mercies going back and forth. We've been able to move about. And we thank you for that, too. And we thank you for your healing touch as well. We thank you for how you are bringing people to you. You are seeking after them and they are acknowledging you. Lord, may we always continue to pray for those people who do not know you. That they, too, can experience what we have. The joy of a relationship with you. We thank you and we give you praise in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I've had to do, um, I've had to make sure that in my particular life and how I've been living, with all the stresses that have been put before us, is to find ways to de-stress yourself. The things that you used to do and you just did them because you had to do them, but you didn't really analyze why you had to do them. But now there's a lot more time to analyze those very things. And one of those things is about how I'm even going to work today. Now, I um, I don't have to go to my office very often for my job. And the idea of even going to work right now, even though I'm working from home and enjoying it tremendously, is that every now and then I will have to go into the office. And I kind of have to tough it out in doing so. I know there's going to be eventually a full-fledged hybrid work schedule. Now the praise here is that for the rest of my career, and I think for my wife's career as well too, we will never have to go into the office five days a week. Praise the Lord! That's a real big deal here now, everybody. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! That's a really big deal. Amen! My wife gave me two thumbs up too, but we have hybrid work schedules to to look forward to. That's been established. And that appears to be permanent. But even with that, going to the office has been kind of tough. So I've concluded that it's important for me to take the silver lining approach when I go to work. I want to make my trips to the office a more pleasant experience. Because in the old days, my trips to the office were not pleasant experiences. I've talked enough about this. When you're driving on the freeway, that's not a pleasant experience during rush hour. Amen? I amen louder than all y'all in here for this. It's not a pleasant experience. So, I don't take the freeway. I just take the main roads now. I just take the roads that will get me to where I'm going and it's a, so much of a stress reducer, it's automatic. Because you're not having to deal with traffic going in and out and weaving around you. 
I'm at work in about a half hour. There's not a whole lot of traffic at all when I do that. I take my time and I stay true to the speed limit. And if there's other cars or a group of cars who want to whiz by me, they can go and have at it. I don't care. Just go around me. Amen? Amen. Just go past me. Now, my imagination sometimes gets the better of me. And I'm observing the behavior of other drivers on the road. And you might get a picture in your mind of the type of personalities of these drivers and what they're doing as you look at them. And even looking at the condition of the cars that they're driving. More often than not, there are people who you would never allow to borrow your own car. Amen? Somebody comes, if you want to borrow your car, like, mm, I'm sorry, I don't think so. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see these drivers who are always in a rush. And they're always running late for something. Running late for work, running late for... Are you always running late for work? I hope not. We'll leave it there. They're often occupied with a number of thoughts as they go while studying their phones at traffic stops. Or even worse, they're driving while they're looking at their phones. How many of you have seen people driving by looking at their phones while they're driving? The car's moving. Some are talking out loud with no one else in the car. Not sure I want to know that conversation. And some are on the phone yelling at someone about something. I have seen people talking in a phone while they're in the car and yelling at somebody. And you can tell they're yelling because their mouth is doing all this. The cars that they are driving also have characteristics that are fitting their personalities. All four wheels are missing their hubcaps. All four wheels. That's a trip. All four of them. There are also dings and dents in different places on their cars. I'm, I'm not trying to sound all bougie about this. I really am not. But I'm talking about things that we have seen and we have, re- have observed and we've understood, right? And they can't get them fixed right away and probably because, you know, they, their insurance is too high. Got to pay a deductible for it. Now, this is my imagination expressing what I see during my morning commutes. This is all observed during the morning commutes. I look at visible indicators of drivers and my perception of their personalities and make a determination about how life may be going for them. Because my wife taught me something very important. Sometimes you have to look at the side that you don't necessarily want to look at as a human being. Some people go through stuff and you should feel sorry for them. Amen. And you should have empathy for them. And I can't test out these theories because I can't stop these people and talk to them and get more information or interview them or ask them what's going on with their life. That's just not possible. While I can't learn more about them, I can spend a lot of time in my personal reflection as to who I am today and make my own notes as to how my life is going. Amen? Amen. 
we all have the power to do that amongst ourselves. I can't get into what other people are doing, but I can sure get into what I'm doing. It's interesting how many of us have a public facade, but have an entirely different life underneath it. Amen. Only you can address this part of your life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever neglected your own self-care or reflection because you were fearful of what you might see about yourself? Rather not even look into it. Because you don't really want to get into it. You don't want to even get into who you are. That's kind of scary. Let's take this opportunity as a way of looking at how we once were before we got to know Jesus. There's a before and an after that we can talk about in our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. A before and after that we can look at. Let's go beyond these appearances. Let's go beyond these facades. Let's look at the appearances when we observe the drivers that I was talking about before. Minds clouded with too many thoughts, distractions, outbursts of anger, carelessness, and failure to overcome circumstances. These are characteristics of a ragged existence. A ragged existence. A ragged life. Now, some of you may not be used to using the word ragged. You might be using the word raggedy. And raggedy still applies here. Amen? But we're not going to use raggedy. It sounds too much like raggedy Ann or something like that. I don't want to get into all that. But ragged is also an adjective just like raggedy is. But ragged is the word that we're going to be using today. It's a description of clothing. We, we, we know about this. It's about clothing that's tattered and worn out. But it also describes behaviors. It describes a person's behavior and outlook in this manner. Imperfect. Uneven. Exhausted. And worn out. When you're living a ragged life, you are definitely exhausted. It's probably why you're always late for stuff. It's probably why you're always rushing for something. It's probably why you're always trying to get somewhere and you just can't seem to get it together. You're living a worn out life. A ragged life is an unsteady life. A ragged life is an unstable life. It's an inconsistent life. It can be exhausting over time. If you keep living this way, it's exhausting. And it can feel like you're treading concrete, which basically means you ain't going nowhere. People who are always in a rush, can't seem to relax and slow down, are looking at their own circumstances with the hope that they can turn things around on their own. They're hoping, beyond hope, 
to turn things around on their own, by their own efforts. A prolonged state of raggedness contributes to despair and hopelessness. And I'll throw in depression because it's a natural part of this whole thing. People get depressed. And it's not always because they're living a ragged life, but a ragged life can contribute to one's depression. But for the ragged, help is indeed available. Amen. There is help for the ragged. The ragged amongst us and the raggedness in me. Raggedness needs redemption. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Let's take a look. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Isaiah chapter 44. Let's look at Isaiah 44, 6. Let's look at what Scripture says and it's going to give us the guidelines for us to look at how we address and where we go to address a ragged life. And frankly, it's where we had to go when I talked about the before and after. It's where we had to go in the first place. When we recognize that we had a life we didn't want to live anymore, where do we have to go? It's going to tell us right here in Isaiah 44, 6. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, follow along in your version. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So notice how it mentions who we go to. The King of Israel and His Redeemer. The Redeemer is Jesus Christ. I readily admit that before I acknowledged Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I was one of the ragged. I was one of the ragged. The Holy Spirit had to reveal to me, as He had to do for you as a believer, had to reveal my raggedness. My raggedness for what it was. And for what it was doing to me before I was willing to put it all in front of Jesus. Amen and amen. amen. Satan will make you go along in your way without revealing your own raggedness. Satan does not want you into the area of self-discovery. He does not want you to take part in this endeavor. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal, honestly, how desperate you really are. How desperate you really are. I had to bring my raggedness to the feet of the cross. I needed His redemption. Now for those of you who don't know the Lord, listen carefully. Because if you don't experience this raggedness right now, and if you don't experience this need for redemption, you will. It's coming in the future. It's a moment of reckoning. 
I mean, I didn't become a believer until I was 26 years old. So I had a lot of reckoning to go through. Our remedy as believers is our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't resolve every personal issue that we have, but it does resolve some very important issues. And I'm going to go over three of them for you. And you can jot them down as we go. Number one, our remedy is to have, like I said, it's in faith, hope, in Jesus Christ. Number one, it reveals and addresses our sin. It reveals and addresses our sin. Revealing it is one thing, addressing it is another, but thankfully Jesus does both with our faith in Him. Amen? Amen? I like the fact that He reveals it. That's really important. Raggedness is more than a state of mind. It's a state of being. In our flesh, it's a state of being. That's who we are. Our words and actions are reflective of our sinful nature. If we are saints inside church and we act a fool outside of church, well, that's raggedy. That's living that facade I was talking about. How you act outside of church is everything, everybody. Amen? When we are not following Jesus Christ, we are ultimately following someone or something else. And that leads to sin that's fleshly. Thankfully, at the moment you decide you want to get away from raggedness and give your matters to Jesus, he immediately responds and he shares his love for you without regard as to where you're coming from. He already knows where you're coming from. But he still shares his love. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. And you've seen this before. You know this passage already. But I want you to see how important it is for your attitude as you look to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, Because he cares for you. Sometimes in our raggedness, it's like running a mouse running through a maze. And you're going from room to room or place to place and you can't find where you're going. Sometimes that's us as ragged folks. But the moment you humble yourself, stop yourself. Slow down and let Jesus into the picture. Because remember, Jesus is not in the picture of a ragged person. The moment you let him in the picture, 
He will show you the way to go. He will give you assistance. You're no longer running through a maze looking for something. Now you're going on a path. Now you're moving on a path that's very clear. A well-lighted path for you to travel on. Humble yourselves. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Turn now to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9. And we say humble ourselves because we have to come to a place of acknowledgement. We have to acknowledge our raggedness before Him. We have to acknowledge our sin before Him. We have to stop and think about those behaviors. Cussing somebody out, yelling at somebody over the phone, living erratically, trusting only in yourself and no one else, mistreating people. We have to take this sin before Him and acknowledge it. And one of the greatest things that Some of us dudes won't do very well is humble ourselves and acknowledge we need Jesus. Because it's so manly of us to live in such a way where we just run people over. That just came out as a personal commentary. I'm sorry. But it's true. There are people in your life right now who are guys. There are guys out there that don't think they need the Lord right now. Because they want to be macho. They want to be this cool person. They want to be, they want to fit in with everybody else. Guess what? You ain't going to fit in with everybody else if you follow Jesus. That's just the reality. But I'd rather be a light for Jesus and not fit in with everybody else. That's what's most important. 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The fellowship with other believers, of course. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the part where this sin is being dealt with. He cleanses our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I don't need Jesus. You're lying to yourself already. Amen. As the lie comes out of your mouth. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen and amen. That's a big verse, everybody. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Raggedness requires a cleansing. A cleansing. Jesus is ready to act for those who sincerely seek His forgiveness. Notice I said sincerely seek His forgiveness. Please don't do it on my account just to impress me. Please don't do it in front of Pastor Gus or anybody else for that matter to impress them. Be sincere about it. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Sincerity. Sincerely seeking after Him. 
Believers in Jesus are much more conscious of this because of the presence of the Spirit. For those of us who know the Lord, we can still get ragged. Amen? The Holy Spirit has to kind of get us back to a place where we put aside this ragged behavior. Just think about what you do or what you like to do. No names. You know who you are. You know how ragged you can be. You know how raggedy you can be. Amen? The Holy Spirit identifies the sin that creates the raggedness and your repentance leads to forgiveness. But it's sincere. He will sincerely forgive your sin. Jesus simply tells us what? To go and sin no more. Amen. That's what he tells us. You bring it to him, ask for forgiveness, he forgives you. Go and sin no more. We've seen that in Scripture. Folks that have been ragged for their entire lives. And Jesus knows about it. The man at the pool, at the pool, excuse me, the man at the pool, 40 years afflicted. Go and sin no more. You're healed because you believe. Second point about what our faith does. It makes us righteous before God. Amen. It makes us righteous. That's pretty important. Remember, it's one thing to recognize the sin. It's another thing to have something done about the sin. It makes us righteous before God. In order to overcome raggedness, it's necessary to trust in someone other than yourself. Us big ego dudes only trust in ourselves. I don't trust nobody else. Well, you got to trust somebody. Let's start with that. And don't let it be yourself. You've got to trust in someone other than yourself. And that someone, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is who you trust in. It is an act of stepping out on faith. There's that word again. Faith. Take a look at Hebrews 11.6. For those of you who are with me in Sunday school this morning, um, I don't believe, I believe that there are coincidences, but I believe God puts them there. We just talked about this. There is a theme that we're going through now about faith. Faith is a necessary thing. And I prepared this message before I looked at my Sunday school lesson. I said, well, son of a gun. Here's Hebrews 11.6 right in there. And without faith, why is faith important? Without faith, it's impossible to please him, please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. Who seek him. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Seek him. And that means that faith is a development. 
Faith is an ongoing practice and development. So what about this faith? Faith is an exercise. Faith is an exercise that does what? It requires consistent application, consistent application, and conscious repetition. Faith, I'll read it again, faith is an exercise that requires consistent application and conscious repetition. In other words, you're not just doing faith just to get a checkbox done, and you're not doing faith just because you're going through the motions. you got to know what you're doing. It has to be consistent, and it has to be conscious. And you keep working at it. You keep doing it. You keep moving through life with it. Stepping out in faith is something that requires practice. 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 Imagine when you enter a very dark room with no light for the very first time. For those of you who are new in your faith, this is a very similar analogy to going to an unfamiliar uncomfortable place and faith will sometimes put us in those situations but as you practice your faith you obtain more experience you can enter that same dark room with more and more confidence knowing that you can navigate more effectively without tripping or bumping into furniture that's the beauty of repeating things and practicing things over and over again Our faith requires a regular workout as we trust in Jesus Christ. Some of us are very conscious about making sure that we're moving our bodies around. Amen? We got backs. We got stuff we got to deal with. We want to keep moving. Kind of keep doing that physical therapy if we're kind of recovering from something, right? Some of us know that very, very well. Your faith requires a regular workout as well as we trust in Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, it has everything to do with sometimes stepping into the unknown. Faith is a journey into the unknown. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says it very well. For we walk by faith, not by sight. If you can't see it, what is your expectation? You don't know. You just have faith. Because if you go by what you see... You wouldn't do nothing half the time. Amen? Just as I mentioned before at the end of 1 John verse 9, we are deemed righteous before Jesus because we make the decision to say, I don't want to be ragged anymore. I don't want to be ragged anymore. The righteousness before God is rooted in obedience and in our faith, and not in how much we are doing ourselves. Some of us are always so active doing something. i got to do this. i got to do this. i got to do this. Let me tell you something right now. If you can't do this, if God ain't in it, if God says it's time to stop, it's time to stop. You think you're doing something. But God has to be the one to enable you to do anything. 
Let's take a look at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We're going to look at Abraham, and we're going to look at what the writer in Romans, Paul, says about Abraham here. And we're going to look at it and see, we know who Abraham is, amen? The father of many nations, that's what's written about in scripture. We know that Abraham, who was not a Jew, by the way, but he was grafted in. And he was the one who was essentially the father of all of us. Romans 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. This is what I mean about, you don't boast about what you do. You might have done something very important, but it's not about what you do. It's about God enabling you to do it. And God gets the glory and the praise for it. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not because of the works he did, but because he believed in the Lord. He believed in the Lord. And he was counted as righteous. Here's the thing to remember here. Here's the takeaway. In our flesh, we always try to do more. We always try to achieve more in an effort to escape our state of raggedness. Especially for those of us who don't know the Lord. You can't do anything on your own strength to make yourself righteous before God. God wants to see you exercise more more than your mind and muscles. He wants to see your faith. He wants to see your obedience. That's where you get righteousness. Your faith. Your obedience. That's what deems you righteous before Him. Not all of this. Romans chapter 4 spends a good amount of time speaking about Abraham's faith. But look at what it says. Drop down to verse 19. Same chapter. Romans 4. Go down to verse 19. We're going to look at verses 19 through 25. Verse 19 in Romans 4. He, being Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Look what it says. He grew strong in his faith. That's a descriptive I want to come back to. He grew strong. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, fully convinced that what God was able to do was God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Look at this, everybody. But for ours also. For all of us. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised 
for our justification. Now, it would be neglectful for me to omit mentioning the raggedness of Abraham. Because Abraham was ragged as he went through his journey with the Lord. Amen? He had a ragged life too. He suffered with unbelief in a number of areas. If you go back and look at his account, you'll see it. But, while Abraham was far from perfect... We see here that as time went along, Abraham's faith grew as he spent more time with God. And it was his faith that propelled him to be this father of many nations that God knew he would be. Because he knows the character of every one of us. He knew the character of Abraham. He knew Abraham was going to mess up. He knows that we mess up. We have ragged lives. Amen? But yet, the more time he spent with God, the more his faith grew to the place where when it was time for Abraham to take Isaac up on that altar, he trusted God enough through that whole process His one and only son. Hmm. It's worth thinking about. In order to be more righteous before God, we must exercise our faith more and more each day. Are you exercising your faith more and more? That's not really a rhetorical question. It's a sincere question. Are you exercising your faith more and more each day? You need to do that. Is Jesus challenging you in this area? I'm going to just say this. If you don't recognize his challenges, well, you're not looking for him. If you don't recognize that he's challenging you with your faith, then you ain't looking for him. You ain't looking for him. You don't want to look for him. What did I say before? Oh, I don't want to know anything about myself. I'm just going to go on and live. Don't ignore the promptings of the Spirit. It's time to listen and accept those challenges He gives to you. If you really want to grow in faith, you need to listen and accept those challenges about your faith. There's still room for growth. Righteousness before him is yours to choose as you choose to follow him in faith and remain faithful. Point number three. It settles our destiny. Our faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ settles our destiny. It is belief in Jesus and only Jesus alone who controls our eternal destiny. Non-believers, they scuffle with this. They try to find different ways to say that they're going to have this relationship with this higher power, higher being, whatever that is. You don't have to struggle with that at all. You already know. Go to John chapter 5, verse 24. 
John 5.24. I love the book of John because it, John gets right down to the brass tacks when he communicates with us. It's the one gospel, in my opinion, that just gets right to the heart of things and tells it like it is. And, you know, I don't really have any insight on how much, when we talk about the relationship that John had with Jesus, but it was a very close relationship. And I think he's speaking to us in that manner because of that close relationship he had. Look what it says here in John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Puts it out there. Tells it like it is. You got it. If you believe in him, if you believe, if you believe God's word, if you believe the words of Jesus and you believe in him, you have eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Flip over now to Acts 4, verse 12. Acts 4, verse 12. Your destiny is taken care of because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is salvation in no one else but Jesus We want to put that in there. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's salvation in no one else. We are assured of eternal life because Jesus promises it. And if you believe in him and you've seen his actions, he keeps all of his promises. Amen? Do you believe that Jesus keeps all of his promises? If you don't believe that, we need to go back. And take a look. And circle back. But Jesus keeps all of his promises. Flip over to another verse. There's a lot of verses here I want to cover. 1 John 2, verses 23 through 25. There are so many verses that John addresses, as you can see, about this thing called eternal life. Eternal life is one of the themes, I think, that John tries to convey in his, in his letters. The Gospel of John and in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 1 John 2, verses 23 through 25. Verse 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Do you believe there's something to look forward to? Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. There's something to look forward to. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. There you go. So it's not just eternal life. 
is eternal life with the Father. Eternal life with Jesus. I love that. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. We want the eternal life that Jesus speaks of where we will have our home with Him, with Jesus. Amen? We don't want the eternal torment as referred to in Luke chapter 16 where the rich man found himself. Go ahead and turn to that. Might as well show the other side of this thing here. Luke chapter 16 verse 24. Luke chapter 16 verse 24. Because we need to understand something. The eternal life we speak of is a good thing. But we got to understand something about who we are. We were miraculously, amazingly created as eternal beings. We are eternal beings. We're not going to have this body for all eternity. We're going to have a new body. Amen? We are eternal beings. And we need to say this and stress this to everybody. God saw fit. The, one of the most important ways to praise Him now is to say, Thank the Lord, I have eternal existence. But, look what it says in Luke 16, 24. And He called out Father Abraham. This is the rich man. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. This is after the rich man died. And his eternal experience is eternal torment. He was created as an eternal being as well too. This is one of those moments where we need to let people know that there are consequences when you deny your creator. When you deny the very one who made you, chose you, Selected you. You say, I don't need him. You condemn yourself. But he won't take you out. He'll just say, okay, here's what you'll, where you'll be in eternity then. We have to mention that. Matthew chapter 12. Go to Matthew 12, verses 30 through 32. Matthew 12, verses 30 through 32. For people who are on the fence about Jesus, pray for them to get it. This is our responsibility as believers. We, we have a number of responsibilities, but one of our most important responsibilities is to be prayerful. And prayerful for people who don't get it. Or choose not to get it. Matthew 12, verses 30 through 32. Verse 30, anyone, this is a New Living Translation, uh, just uh, using this version here. Anyone who isn't with me, mean Jesus, opposes me. Now, don't go too fast through this. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. You might think you're indifferent. No, you're opposing Jesus. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. If you ain't working with him, you ain't helping him, you're working against him. Because you're not helping people get to the kingdom. That's 
the bottom line. Your responsibility is to get people towards the kingdom. Point them towards the kingdom. Point them towards Jesus Christ. If you're not helping, you're in opposition to Him. Verse 31, So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. That's denying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who taps us and speaks to us and tells us you need Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. Verse 32, Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. There is another world to come as well. This world and the world to come. The world to come is the world where we spend our eternity. As this section addresses the eternal aspect of our relationship with Jesus Christ, this is where our fervent prayers for our family members, our friends, and our loved ones need to implore the Holy Spirit to confront their lives of raggedness and to move them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The danger of raggedness with non-believers is that they often believe that they are good enough and that they are doing just fine. And they certainly don't see themselves as ragged. What? Who, me? No way! This is why you need to pray continually. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Just pray. Pray for those people. If you aren't praying for them, who is? If you aren't praying for them, who is? Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should have the confidence that their destiny to be with Jesus is secure. Secure. One of the most important things a man can do for a wife is to make that wife feel secure. It's in their DNA. That's how they're wired. If a man can't make a woman feel secure, what do they wind up having to do? they got to overcompensate. they got to do all kinds of things. And unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way very well. But your faith in Jesus Christ should be a security for you. You should feel secure about where you're going. Go to John chapter 10, verses 27. We're going to read through to 30. John 10, verse 27. I've given you all a lot of homework today. I like giving out homework lately. I don't know. I just think it's a good thing. Homework. You go back and look at your studies. Amen? Thank you, class. <laughs> John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, Father, my Father, who is, has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let me ask you another question. Do you recognize Jesus' voice when he speaks to you? Do you recognize when Jesus is speaking to you? 
Are you secure in your relationship with Jesus? Amen? Well, that's a question. Are you secure in your relationship with Jesus? He does not want anyone to settle for a ragged life. Do you realize that people settle for ragged lives? Jesus does not want that for you, especially for a believer. He doesn't want you to settle for a ragged life. He wants everyone to live the abundant life through him. The abundant life. Now the word abundant sometimes sounds like this big bountiful thing. It doesn't mean like you're going to be rich or anything like that. But an abundant life is a life where you can say, Jesus is sufficient for me in the midst of my difficulties. And believe it or not, that's the abundant life. Because if you can look past the difficulties of the world and what you see in front of you, that means faith is propelling you to where you need to be. That's the abundant life. We've all experienced struggles and sufferings. Amen? We all have. This is a common experience for all mankind. Jesus gives us the ability to endure these sufferings that come through them on the other side. Come through the difficulties on the other side. He wants the best for you. Amen? He does want the best for you. Jesus has more than enough ability to cure our raggedness. More than enough ability. The more that we desire to get away from our ragged state, the more we will move towards our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Our Redeemer. Jesus turns our raggedness into righteousness. Righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of your teaching. We thank you for all that you are doing in our lives right now. Lord, we accept the challenge that you give to us to recognize your presence. Recognize when you're speaking to us. Recognize when you're challenging us to do more and do greater things. Because you've told us all we need is just to exercise our faith and we are deemed righteous before you. Lord, we thank you for taking our raggedness and turning it into righteousness. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. We thank you for helping us to go beyond what we see and trust in you more and more. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your presence. Even now, as we gather together before you, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for what truly is the abundant life when we recognize that you are in all of it. And we just give you praise and thanks for all these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen.